0: We are wrapping up the ninth chapter of the Book of Romans. We're involved in an expository study. We're going verse by verse through the Book of Romans. And we have been here for uh, quite a length of time. This is our 63rd lesson from the Book of Romans. And this is uh, because I don't teach every single Sunday. We're over two years into this. We've been in this for a while. And we're probably going to be in it for a while. But that's okay. Today we'll finish Romans chapter 9. Uh, We'll we'll start Romans chapter 10 next Sunday. And what happens, I talked about this last week. We kind of ended the main thought of Romans chapter 9 last week. And what happens in these last four verses of Romans chapter 9 is Paul introduces the main concept that chapter 10 is going to deal with. And so chapter 9 has introduced the idea that God is sovereign. Man has no right to question God. Man has no right to question God's rejection of Israel after Israel rejected Jesus Christ. But now Paul turns to an explanation of why Israel has been rejected. He starts with a paradox. And that is the source of that paradox, the source of the underlying tension that gave rise to the whole of chapter 9. The salvation of the Gentiles. And the rejection of the Jews, it doesn't make sense to the Jewish mind. It doesn't make sense to those that have have faithfully followed the law of Moses. So Paul ends chapter 9 by explaining why the Jews have been rejected and why the Gentiles have been saved. And we'll we'll wrap up chapter 9 with these four verses, starting in chapter 9, verse 30. It says, what shall we say then? that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's the text for this morning. I'm going to go back and read verse 30, and then we're going to get into that verse and just kind of break it down verse by verse this morning. Verse 30 said, What shall we say then? That's Paul's introducing now the next line of thought, the next thing that he's going to address. It's his way of transitioning to another idea. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which... Followed not after righteousness. Have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. So we start with the paradox. The end goal of man's relationship with God is righteousness. Now what that means is it's not talking about some kind of internal righteousness. The righteousness that Paul is talking about is right standing with God. You want to be right with God. That's the end goal of man's relationship with God is to find myself in right standing with God. I, I'm a sinner. I have, I've done wrong. I have the, the law of God is against me. Amen. I am convicted and I fall, fall under the, the judgment of God. I'm not in right standing with God. But the goal of a relationship with God is that he would bring me into that place of right standing. Amen, that my sin would be under the blood of Jesus, that my life would be covered by the grace of God, that I could stand not in the judgment of God, but in the blessing and the favor of God. That's what the Jews have historically sought after. That's what the Israelites have, have tried to obtain. They believed that that was the end result of obedience to the law. So they kept the law, or at least they professed to keep the law, so that they could obtain right standing with God. However, we've already seen through the length and breadth of this chapter that they have not obtained that righteousness. As a matter of fact, much of their law keeping has been a charade. It's been a a false front. they've, They've kept the law in a letter, but not in spirit. Their hearts have been far from God. The Gentiles, however, they didn't follow after righteousness. They never sought right standing with God. They, they didn't even have his law. They didn't, they didn't know what God required of them to get into right standing with him. They, even, they didn't even have any real concept of who God is or, or what, what, what God is. They, they had no means by which to even begin to pursue right standing with God. However, Paul said, even though They did not historically, as a people, seek righteousness. They have found it. They have attained it. They have received right standing with God. The the Jews were being rejected and the Gentiles were being grafted into the church. And Paul points out that they were not even a people who knew how to seek after right standing with God. They were not even a people that knew how to seek the righteousness of God. They had no concept, no understanding of what it means to get right with God. They were the people who Paul said were not a people. They, They weren't even worthy of the name. They, they were a people, and he was not their God. He was never their God. For much of their existence, the Gentiles worshipped pagan gods. They, they worshipped idol gods. They worshipped gods that were powerless to hear them. They had hands that couldn't touch them. They had feet that couldn't go anywhere. They worshipped gods that could not even move in their life. They could not have any impact on their situation, much less save them gods that could not bring them to a place of right standing and righteousness. They didn't even know the one true God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the living God of the Old Testament, the one who was and he is and forever will be, the ancient of days, the one who stepped out on the edge of nothing at all and spoke the universe into existence by the power of his word. They didn't know him. Yet God opened the door to righteousness for them. They obtained that which they never sought. They they got a hold of that which they didn't even know to reach for. You ever gotten one of those notifications in the mail or in an email or some other way that said, you know you want to see sweepstakes. You you they, you got a million dollar check coming. It's it's going to change your life. Yeah, but when you look at it, you, you remember, I never entered any sweepstakes. I never, I never, I never really, I, I, don't, I don't even remember this thing. You know, you, you can't win the lottery because you never bought the ticket. That's the sense of, that, that sense of incongruity that you feel when the news is too good to be true because it is too good to be true. I mean, you can't have won a million dollars in the lottery. You didn't buy a ticket. You can't have won the sweepstakes. You never applied to the sweepstakes. They don't just call people at random and say, guess what? I'm going to give you a million dollars. You have to have met the, the, the requirements. You have to have sent in the application. You have to have done whatever you do to get into the sweepstakes. That sense of incongruity that you feel whenever you're, you you get that letter, and you know this this can't be, this is just simply, really is too good to be true. Amen? That's the sense of incongruity that the Jews felt about the Gentiles. They never entered the sweepstakes. They never even tried to please God. They they never even pursued God. They were never reaching for God. But they won the prize. They received the righteousness of God. They, They were placed in the right standing with God. The words to follow after and to attain go together. That to attain would be to catch that which you are following after, to to lay hands on that which you are pursuing. It conveys the sense of winning the prize, of getting a hold of the thing that you were striving for. In the case of the Gentiles, they've won the prize, but they never strived for it. They've received the righteousness of God, but they never even pursued it. Historically, as a people, they didn't even know God. They obtained right standing with God, Paul said, by faith. This is the key. They didn't have a long litany of reasons why God should save them. They, they didn't have an established history of keeping the law of God. They, they didn't have any evidence of moral righteousness that they could point to and justify their salvation. They didn't have anything that they could stand in the presence of God and say, you owe me righteousness. They hadn't done anything to obtain righteousness, but God saved them anyway. They obtained the grace of God not by their works, not by their history, not by what they had done for God, but by their faith in God. God opened for them a door to righteousness that they had never even had the good sense historically to try to find or open for themselves because they believed in Him and what He had done for them. This whole concept was foreign to the Jewish mind. They, they were the chosen people. They had the history. They had the law. They had the prophets. They were, they were selected out of all the nations of the earth to be God's own people. Their entire heritage revolved around keeping the law. It revolved around attaining, seeking after the righteousness of God. But somehow these Gentiles who had no such heritage, who could make no claim to the law of God, make no claim to an understanding of God, they obtained righteousness. But that's not the end of it. The next verse says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. So the Jews... They followed after righteousness. They chased after it. They they vigorously pursued it. They entered the sweepstakes. They they bought the lottery ticket. They they did everything they could to get into the, the righteousness of God. They sought after it, but somehow they never actually obtained it. In spite of all their law keeping, in spite of all of the evidence of their religious actions, right standing with God, was just a little beyond their grasp. That's the tragic irony that Paul is driving at. The Gentiles never sought righteousness, but they found it anyway. The Jews sought it diligently, but they could never lay their hands on it. And in stating that truth, Paul gives us a subtle but definitive reason why the Jews have not attained it. They did not just seek righteousness. They sought after the law of righteousness. The law of righteousness is best understood here as of all Moses. And what Paul is saying is that the Jews, they didn't pursue righteousness by faith. They pursued it by the law. And that fact in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. The law wasn't an instrument to defeat them. The law was God's revealed plan to the Jews. It was what God required of them. It was what God asked them to do. It was the Old Testament vehicle for attaining righteousness. You can follow the law in the Old Testament and obtain right standing with God. But the Jews, by and large, missed the point of the law. The law was intended to bring the Jews to a place where they recognized their own inability to be righteous in and of themselves and realized that their only source of righteousness was God. It was supposed to bring them to a place of faith. The law was supposed to lead the Jews to the same kind of faith that saved the Gentiles. It was supposed to bring them to a place of utter dependence on God where they would realize I can't do this. I can't keep the whole letter of the law. It's not within me. I don't have that ability. I need God. See, that's what the Gentiles realized, that the faith that they had was a faith in God because I can't please him. They didn't even have the history of having tried, but they couldn't please God. They needed the grace of God. They needed the mercy of God. They had to have a faith in God that would cause them to obey the word of God, not some heritage. But the Jews that had the law they got a misunderstanding. They, they perverted the purpose of the law. They saw law keeping as the path to righteousness. And they exalted their own works, the works of the law, over God. They literally believed that they could earn right standing with God by keeping the law. That was never the intention of the law. No man will ever earn the grace of God. God doesn't owe you anything, and he never will. The law was all about bringing man to the place where he recognized, I need the grace of God. I need the mercy of God. I need God. I can't do this for myself. The law provided a provision for sin sacrifice because no man would ever be able to fulfill the full letter of the law for himself. The point was that when faced with the demands of the law, When faced with the letter of the law, men and women would come to understand their own inability to fulfill the law, their own shortcomings. They would see their sin for what it was and their faith in God would compel them to obey the law of God and to offer, humbly offer, an animal sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb, a a blood sacrifice to cover their sins and their faith coupled with their obedience of the word of God would result in right standing with God. I've said this over and over and over again. The plan of salvation doesn't change throughout Scripture. It's always faith that results in obedience to the revealed will of God, to the plan of God in that generation or that era. and their generation, their era, the plan of God, the will of God was of all. But that law isn't activated. It doesn't bring you to salvation by law keeping. It brings you to salvation by faith and obedience. And they what was missing in their law keeping was their faith in God. Instead, they had a faith in themselves. They believed I can earn the righteousness of God, but I can make myself good enough. I can do this for myself. The law was never intended to bring man to a place where he thought he could do it for himself. The law was always intended to bring man to a place where he fell on his knees in the presence of God and said, I can't do this, God. I need your help. That was the purpose. That was the intention. That's why righteousness was just beyond their grasp. They were pursuing it in the wrong way. Verse 32 says, Wherefore? So explain this. Why is it? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. That last phrase is a transition to the last thought of this chapter. It really leads into the next verse. And so I'm going to deal first with the first half of this verse. That's the explanation that I've been driving at this morning. Why they could not obtain righteousness. The Jews could not get a hold of the thing that they sought after because they pursued it by works and not by faith. Instead of trusting in God for salvation... They tried to earn their salvation by their works. Their goal was never righteousness by the grace of God, which is what God intended for them all along. Their goal was righteousness by law-keeping. Their goal was righteousness by my right actions. Their goal was righteousness by something that they did. Listen, the law was given to steer men into a relationship with God. It's the only way God can be known. God will never be known intellectually. He'll never be understood in a scholarly fashion. The only way God can ever be known is in relationship. And the law was about putting men into relationship with God. Instead, they boiled the law down to an intellectual set of principles about God and tried to understand God Without ever getting in relationship with God, the law was about bringing man to the place where he surrendered, where he yielded his life to God, where he submitted himself to God, where he came into a relationship with God. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23 that the law was designed to shut them up to faith. To cut them off from every possible response to God but faith. The law was supposed to make them realize, I can't do this. I don't have that ability. I am not righteous in and of myself. It was supposed to cut them off from every other avenue, every other approach to God except faith. But in their self-righteous folly, they exalted the law over God. And they sought to use the law to force God to accept them. They, They would strong arm God by their works and say, look what I have done. You owe me righteousness. That was never God's intention for the law. The law was supposed to make them recognize their dependency on him. He was their only hope for righteousness. They would never earn it. They would never be able to attain righteousness in themselves. The law was supposed to compel them to place their lives at the mercy of God and by so doing to cause them to obtain the grace of God by faith. The reason they couldn't attain it is they were running in the wrong direction. They were chasing right standing with God, righteousness. But they were going about it the wrong way. Their goal was never wrong. They had the right goal in mind to get right with God. But it was their method that was wrong. They thought they could attain the righteousness of the law by the works of the law. That the the law gave them a vehicle that they could make themselves righteousness but that was never raked right, themselves righteous that was never the intent of the law the law was supposed to lead them to faith in God not faith in their own works not faith in themselves that's the reason why they didn't recognize Jesus when he came that's the reason why they couldn't see the Messiah for who he was the scriptures, Testified of him. The law was designed to lead them to him. But when he came, they had so perverted the law that they had distorted the lens through which they were supposed to see Jesus. And they couldn't see him for who he was because they couldn't see through the law clearly. Jesus said, search the scriptures. They testify of me. But what they were seeing in the scripture was man's ability, not God's. That's why they never could see Jesus for who he was. Now, I have to point out here that Paul is talking, as he has been this whole chapter, about the nation of Israel as a whole, not individual Jews. Throughout history, there, there were Jews who obtained righteousness under the law through faith. We're not saying that every single Jew that followed the law, none of them ever attained righteousness. There were men and women that the law compelled them to recognize their complete and utter dependence on God for salvation. And their faith in God compelled them to obey the sacrificial system and place their faith in the shed blood of an innocent lamb that was a temporary stand-in for heaven's only spotless lamb. And by their faith in God and by their obedience to the revealed word of God, they found remission of sin. Uh, not in the blood of bulls and goats but in the blood of Jesus Christ their obedience their faithful obedience to the word of God preserved them set them in right standing with God on the basis of the future sacrifice that would be made at the cross they were able to obtain righteousness through faith so not everyone that was under the law was lost but some were And by the time that Jesus Christ came, the law system was hopelessly corrupted and multitudes of Jews were firmly held in the grasp of a system of salvation that was erroneously based on salvation by works, the works of the law, rather than salvation by faith in God. Now, as I said a moment ago, that's what caused them to miss the Messiah, instead of becoming their savior jesus christ became their stumbling stone paul says that in the last portion of this verse for they stumbled at that stumbling stone that's a reference to isaiah chapter 13 or chapter 8 dennis if you don't care get me isaiah chapter 8 i'm going to do 13 14 and 15 and in just a minute i'm going to go to isaiah chapter 28 Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13, 14, and 15 reads this way. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken." To the Jews in the Old Testament, God presented himself as a sanctuary or a place of safety, a hiding place from their enemies, a place that they could go and be sheltered from those that would destroy them. However, as a sanctuary, God placed himself squarely in the path of his people. And if they refused to take shelter in him, he promised that if they refused to find refuge in him, in the safety of his presence, then they would run headlong into him and be crushed by him. He would be the rock that would stand in their path. That that place of sanctuary, that place of refuge, if it was rejected, would become the stumbling stone or a rock of offense. Now, that term "stumbling stone" is probably not sufficient in our current vernacular to to explain the original intent of the language. the The, the Greek scholars tell me that 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 phrase refers not to a stone over which you may merely stumble and then recover from your fall but rather a stone wall or a big massive rock that you might run into with your entire body and be smashed against it it's not a small thing to encounter that stumbling stone it's like running into a brick wall and that is exactly what happened to the Jews Jesus was the hope of the ages. He was the perfect sanctuary, the place of refuge. He came to set men free from their sins. He came to deliver them. But to the Jews, to those who sought salvation by works instead of by faith, he was the ultimate stumbling stone. He was the rock of offense. He he was the one that they ran headlong into. They ran into a brick wall when they found Jesus. They were crushed against him. He goes on in verse thirty-three, as it is written, "Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense; and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed." Now this verse, they, it's a quote again from the book of Isaiah, but it's it's combined. It's from Isaiah chapter eight and Isaiah chapter twenty-eight, two verses mixed together. I'm going to read the two verses. And then I'm going to show you how they blend together. The first verse, we've already read, Isaiah 8 and 14, prophesied that God would become a stone of stumbling to Israel, a stumbling block that would cause men to fall. It said, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for ginn and for snare, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The other verse, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 you'll put it up there. It says that God would lay in Zion a foundation stone, a cornerstone in whom men could trust. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And he that believeth shall not make haste. What Paul does in this quote, in the last verse, you can go back to Romans 9 and 33. What he does in this last verse is he blends these two scriptures together. He takes the negative description of the verse out of Isaiah chapter 8. And he inserts it into the positive promise of Isaiah chapter 28. Jesus was supposed to be the foundation stone for his people. He was supposed to be that that place that they could run to and trust in, but instead he became a rock that caused them to stumble because they refused to believe in him. Paul's point here is that the the purpose for which Jesus came was not to be a stumbling stone. He came to be the foundation. He came to be the cornerstone. He came to be the thing that they would build their lives on. He never came to be a stumbling stone. He came to save them. He came to be a place of refuge. But because they rejected him, that which was meant to be a stumbling stone or meant to be a foundation stone became a stumbling stone. It became a rock of offense. It needs to be pointed out here that both of those Old Testament texts in Isaiah referred to Jehovah God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God that was both refuge and stumbling block to the saints of the Old Testament. And here, Paul in Romans chapter 9 and Peter also in his writing, both of them use the same text and connect them with Jesus Christ. And there again we see, as we've seen so many times through the book of Romans, that to the writers of the New Testament, they saw no distinction. Between God and Jesus Christ. He was the mighty God manifest in the flesh. The one who was the stumbling stone in the Old Testament was the same one who was the stumbling stone in the New Testament. The one who was the foundation stone in the Old Testament, he was the same one who was the foundation stone in the New Testament. But Paul does not end Romans chapter 9 on the negative note of, He came to save you, but you ran into Him, and He was a stone of offense. He wraps up with the positive promise that comes from Isaiah chapter 28. He wraps up on this positive note. Whoever believes in him, not those that reject him and find him to be a stumbling stone, but those who believe in him, to them he becomes a place of refuge. To them he becomes a place of shelter, a sanctuary, and they will not be ashamed now Isaiah's original words and we read it just a moment ago Isaiah's original words were they will not make haste or not be in a hurry to understand what's being said we need said we need to go back to that phrase in the Hebrew because that phrase in the Hebrew has to do with being in a panic those who put their faith in God will not find themselves in a panic. They they won't find themselves fussing and rushing about trying to fix their problem. When when trouble comes on them, when the storm overshadows them, whenever they find themselves in a place that they need a sanctuary and they need a refuge, they're not going to feel as if they had to depend upon themselves. They're not going to feel like they got to hurry around and rush and fuss and try to fix the problem for themselves. Instead, they'll trust in God. And they will know that he is their refuge, he is their strength, he is their shelter, he is the rock that covers them, and he will provide for them. He will take care of them. They're not going to get in a big rush. They're not going to get in a big worry and fuss. Uh, They know that their confidence is in God, and he's worthy of that confidence. Now, the word that Paul uses is they will not be ashamed. The verb there has to do with feeling disgraced or shamed. It is the underlying reason why people who do not put their trust in God feel like they need to rush around and fix their problems. It's because they understand that they are inadequate. They don't have the resources. They need Problem: The storm overcomes them, and they look at their resources and say, I don't have enough. I don't know how to fix this. And it throws them into a panic. And Paul characterizes that panic as being ashamed that they don't have the resources that they need. As feeling shame that they can't fix the problem. The meaning is the same in Isaiah as it is in Romans. Those who trust in God. Those who put their faith in God will find him to be a place of refuge. They won't need to act hastily. They won't need to rush around. They don't have to worry about the affairs and cares of their life. They don't have to worry about the storm that is rising on the horizon of their day because they know. That no matter what this life brings me, he is my God. Uh, He is watching over me and he's going to come to my rescue. He's going to vindicate my faith in him. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to walk with him. And I'm going to believe that no matter what this day brings me, he's going to bring me through it. That's the confidence that is the opposite of being ashamed. Those that believe in him, they won't be ashamed. They're going to have confidence in God. They're going to know, I can trust him. Can I tell you this morning, you can trust him with your life. You can trust Him with what's really going on. You can, you can trust Him with the stuff you don't put on Facebook. You can trust Him with the stuff you don't tell anybody else about. You can trust Him with the stuff that you hide from everybody else. Uh, if you put your faith and your trust in God, you're not going to be ashamed. Uh, if you put your faith and your trust in God, it's no longer going to be on your shoulders to fix the problem. If you put your faith and your trust in God, He's going to be your refuge. He's going to be your sanctuary. He will be your place of shelter. He's going to provide. So on that note, we wrap up chapter 9. The whole point of the chapter has been to establish the fact that Israel as a whole is responsible for their own lost condition. They're, They're to blame, not God. And the essence of their failure was that they trusted in themselves instead of in God. They, they put their confidence in their own ability, in their own works instead of, instead of in God. And because of that, they missed their own Messiah. They missed Jesus Christ. He that was going to be their salvation became their stumbling stone. They pursued acceptance with God by works rather than by faith. They chose the law over grace and trusting in themselves leaves them in the place of being ashamed. At some point, if you put your trust in yourself, you're going to come to the conclusion that your resources are not adequate. That there are things that are going to come into your life that you simply don't have the ability to overcome in and of yourself. If you try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, if you try to make yourself into something by yourself, if you try to handle your life on your own, eventually you're going to come to the conclusion that there are problems in your life you can't fix. But if you put your faith in Jesus... If you turn your heart to heaven, if you come to him, not in my ability, not in in what I can accomplish, but in the grace and the mercy of God, you'll find one that provides for you. One that shelters you. One that watches over you. One that takes care of you. If you put your trust in him, you'll never be ashamed of the choice that you've made. He will validate your faith in him. He will provide. He will make a way when there seems to be no way. He'll open doors that you didn't even know existed. That which you weren't even seeking after, you'll obtain. That's the wonder of the miracle of putting your trust in Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Brother Ryan, would you come to the music? So the final point of Romans chapter 9, as we've discussed the falling of the Jews and and even their their failure to accept Jesus Christ, the the final point is that if you'll put your faith in Jesus, he won't let you down. If you'll turn your heart to him, if you'll trust in him, if you'll seek a refuge in him, he's going to take care of you. I don't have to know what's going on in your life today. I don't have to know the struggles, the problems, the things that you face. I don't have to know about the various circumstances that are represented by the various lives that are in this house this morning. I know your God. I know who he is. And I know what he can do. And I know that there is nothing that is beyond him. I know there's no obstacle that he can't overcome. There's no problem that He doesn't have an answer for. There's no question in your life, no struggle in your life that He hasn't already devised a way to bring you through it. He's just waiting for you to put your trust in Him. He's just waiting for you to... The Bible said that the little lady with the issue of blood, she exhausted all of her resources. She spent all the money she had in the bank She pulled everything she had out of life savings. She spent everything she had. And when she ran out of all of her stuff, when she got to the end of all of her ability, then she turned to Jesus. Sometimes God's just waiting for you to run out of yourself. Sometimes He's just waiting for you to get to the end of all of your resources you're going to find he's been there all along. He's been right there. His help. His refuge. His strength. His provision. It's been there all along. But you couldn't see it. Because you were too caught up in your resources. You were too caught up in, in your plan. I believe in this place this morning. The grace of God is moving through this house. He's calling somebody under the sound of my voice today to put your faith in Him. Before you reach the end of your resources, before you reach the end of your wits, before you drive yourself into that corner that that you're you're in a panic, would you turn your heart towards heaven? Would you tell Him, Lord Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't make it on my own. I thought I could, and I've made a mess out of things. God, I need you now. I need you to move in my life. I'm asking church, if you just come and find a place in this altar this morning, I feel the, I feel a very deep moving of the Holy Ghost in this place right now.